What is a good software developer? What do excellent developers do? There are probably as many answers to these questions as developers in the world. So let's ask veterans and newcomers what their story look like. Let's learn directly from them. Welcome to Developer's Journey. Hello and welcome to Developer's Journey, the podcast shining a light on developers' life from all over the world. My name is Tim Bourguignon and today I receive Markus Haar. Hi, Markus. Hi, Tim. And we're live uh, at the new offices of, uh, of my company, Matema. Um, it's still kind of construction work all around, but, but it should be fine. Um, the, uh, the workers are gone. They are not supposed to do too much, um, too much noise, so we should be fine for recording. Um, nice to finally have you. I think we pushed the interview twice, but finally we have it. I really wanted to have you. Magus and I worked on the same project a few years ago. We just realized it's been more than two years ago. Time flies. Time really flies. And then we, we saw each other at, at a few conferences, but um, kind of uh, lost lost track. I think the last talk I, I wanted to see from you was at Javaland last year. I couldn't attend. I just busted my ankle um, a day before. No, it was this year, I think. It was, yeah, it was yeah. this year, sure. Um, you're right. But I think I saw your, your talk afterwards at Herbst Campus, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know what you're talking about now. And I want to get to it. It's about software analytics, and I'm sure we're going to... Or we have to talk about it at some point. But first things first, we're here to hear your story first. So um, can you tell us briefly about yourself? How you, how you came to this word of software analytics, um, or maybe being to, on the same project as I was at that time, and uh, and then maybe working for a new company now? We can reveal the name, right? Yeah, yeah. So for working for InnoQ since a few weeks. Well, yeah, um, since uh, I think uh, twelve days now. Of oh, twelve days, yeah. so it's very new. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I guess let's just um, yeah. give you the hand. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. That. Yeah. Hi, my name is Markus Hara. I'm well a software developer, and I have some passion around legacy code. Well, I like to really get my hands dirty into all the mess, all the chaotic structures of old software systems. And to do that very efficiently, I, well, leverage some data analysis tools, which I call in the whole software analytics to find out how the software could be structured in a way, some kind of better, or how we can identify severe problems in software systems. And this is what I love. And I do this now at InnoQ full-time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... How did I get started with software analytics? Well, who? That's a really deep going question. So actually, I am doing software analytics for the second time. My first experience were during my master thesis, where I tried to find the ultimate, well, software quality management dashboard, you know, where the manager can see some gorgeous and traffic lights with red yellow and, and green to, to see how the projects go. But, well, um, during my thesis, I realized that it doesn't work. You can't use such a dashboard. But nice thing was that I learned some data analytics software or some, some data analytics tools like Python, Pandas, and so on. 
And with the stack, I could really figure out severe problems in software systems. Well, that's um, how I came to it, to the software analytics topic. And I have so good experiences now with all the tooling, all the techniques, all the approaches that I want to spread the word into the software community that developers also can do it by themselves. Were you always interested in this in this um, meta topic over development? How do you come? To no, that? no, no, no. Um, I'm a kind of fan of, of refactoring, re-engineering, reverse engineering. But there were some times where I didn't speak in the language of the management. So I saw all these these problems around uh, the software systems, and I just couldn't get some budgets or budgets or money for fixing all the problems in the software systems. So I decided to take some additional classes in, in business school and have some, some new, or to get some new knowledge into software controlling or management in general. And there I found that you have to translate all the technical problems that are in a software system into something that management can really see. Mm-hmm. So when you look at non-technical areas like controlling or mechanical engineering, you see that, that many people are using data analysis or statistics to make the well invisible more visible to people that are non-technical. And this is for me a good approach. And I want to do the same for software developers or software development in general. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us an, an example just to, um, to, to put uh, some kind of a, of a concrete idea behind? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, once I was in a project where we had many different developers from different providers. And there was a time where we have to downsize the project team. And the challenge was to find out which parts of the software systems were documented good enough to let go of developers and which parts of the software system needed some redocumentation or at least knowledge sharing from one developer to another developer. And, and data analysis looked like that you get your version control system data to figure out which part of the systems are well um, known to the software developers that would stay in the company or stay in a project, and which part of the software needs some redocumentation because the developers who mainly maintain the software or the source code are leaving. Mm-hmm. Such analysis is really cool to steer your resources in the software com- in a software company and to really find out where some hotspots are. Another analysis I did was a performance analysis with a profiler in a Java software system. There we had the challenge to spot severe performance hotspots. What we did here was we just run a performance or stress test. We recorded all the performance measures with a profiler tool, and then I loaded this so-called call graph into a graph database to spot the problems uh, of our application and to find out the the parts of the software that really did all the performance issues. Mm-hmm. So 
it's mostly, um, oh, not mostly, it's always some kind of, um, of mixing and matching of different, um, uh, systems that give you different aspects of one problem and then trying to make sense of the combination or the, the, uh, the product of, of, of the whole. Is it, am I right in saying this? Yeah. But in, in general, um, the real start is a concrete need or some deficiency of the software. And you are thinking about what data in your software development uh, process or in your software development company can, can show the problems. So you always start by a concrete problem. Then you're searching for the data that could support your, your case in this um, kind of thing. And then you are figuring out how you can transform the data that the data shows really the pain points. Mm -hmm. How do you come with those ideas? I just, um, just trying to, uh, trying to find something in the, in the dark or do you have no, no, no. ideas? How, how do you do that? I said, this is the second time I tried out software analytics. So the start was really to automate some tedious things. So I had to do some architecture or code reviews in my company. And this what it was like to, to check if the given architecture rules fitted to the actual source code. So we had to open all source code file to see if there are any annotations at special places or are all the namespaces and package names so as they should be. And this was, as I said, really tedious, tedious. And what do developers when they are some kind of, um, well, board of some kind of task, they automate it. And what I did for this code and architecture review, I searched for toolings that could search the whole source code basis for a larger software system and spot automatically all the pain points. Mm -hmm. And this worked pretty good with the tooling I, I just newly discovered at this time. And this is where I wanted to know more about it. So could it be that it works for other cases than architecture reviews? Could it be that the tooling also supports spotting those performance issues? Can I identify some knowledge islands of developers where just a few developers commit to some code bases? And as I dove more and more into this area of software analytics, I found that there are so many things possible with software analytics, and this is where we got started into the whole topic. Okay, so you put one finger in there, and what for your whole arm? Yeah, there were, in there. there were some meetings where someone proposed a problem or said, hey, we have here some severe issues in the software system. And then my brain connected all the different data sources that were available checked for some correlation of different data sources to bring together and to show the pain points. So it's really interesting. So it was kind of a data-oriented thinking that really started in me. And I saw many, many, many problems then from a data's perspective. Mm -hmm. So interesting. That's, that's fun. Because uh, probably I, I wasn't probably in some of those meetings as well. But do you think um, that you were you were looking at those meetings and the, the discussions on the topic we were discussing from a completely different angle and saying, oh, well, how can, could I automate this thing? Mm -hmm. so that's really interesting. That's, uh, that's new to me, actually. 
Yeah, and this, um, how can I automate this? It's really, the, I think, the key. So if you realize that you as developer are in an integrated development environment and you are browsing through the source code, maybe on spe specific kinds of structures like your inheritance hierarchy and you do it for the whole code base, you can also automate this. And there are tools out there that can do it. And I just leverage those tools and, well, automated all the things. Mm -hmm. uh, let's speak just a bit about those tools. Do you have to learn some completely new things to be able to, uh, to leverage uh, those tools? Yeah, you have to go into the data science area. There are some standard stacks or technology that everybody's using nowadays for doing some analysis. These are tools like Python, the programming language, the data analysis framework Pandas, plotting libraries like matplotlib, or even the core of all my analysis tasks, which is a notebook system called Jupyter. And those are really software development agnostic kind of. So you can use it for analyzing some You're making big moves with your arms <laughs> to say everything. <laughs> you can, well, you can um, analyze some biological data, chemistry data, mechanical engineering data, process data, what you ever like. Mm -hmm. And I think I just realized that you can also use those tools for software data. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Whatever you can feed in, in there. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what makes really fun. So you, You're trying to figure out how can I transform the data that is available in the software area to, to, to fit into those standard data analysis frameworks. So this is really a good, it's a really nice thinking exercise after work, for example. And it's also a great motivator for me. Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of data science standard stack that I'm using, but there's also more. So if you get into the source code itself, you see that everything in source, in the source code is kind of related to each other. You have, for example, in Java, you have packages. The packages contain some Java classes. The Java classes themselves have a specific hierarchy, inheritance hierarchy, for example. So the classes have fields or methods. And each of those software elements is connected. And this is where I started to use tools like GQ Assistant and the graph database Neo4j, which kind of really store all those structural information that you have in your source code. And then it's like um, an automation of an integrated development environment where you just say, hey, I want you to navigate on those structures. Please, Neo4j or JQ system, do it for me and spot the awkward issues that I'm, that I have in my mind, for example. Mm -hmm. um, am I getting this right? Um, you're kind of, um, doing an a code analysis with those tools and then getting the output of that to make some match with something else. Almost. So, The start is again uh, an issue that you have with your source code and you can find your issue manually with the integrated development environment. Mm -hmm. But how did you come to this issue in your source code? You navigated almost 
always on structural information. Mm -hmm. So you click, for example, which method calls the other method. You just navigate from one call to the other and try to get your way through multiple stacks until you get to the real problem. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so what you do is, for example, you navigate between all the methods and you find the spot in your source code that contains the issue. And one result of such analysis is, for example, a list of, so what you get as a result is, for example, a list of methods that contain a certain issue. Mm -hmm. So you're just checking for the problem manually for the first time. And then you query your code to find all the other problematic spots in your source base or source mm -hmm. code base. Okay, so you, you find it once and then try to replicate and see where it happens or everywhere. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And this you get some kind of, of list as a result of yep. some data set. And either you can work with this data set right away or you have to map it in U4J with something else to just get a different structure and see maybe where it comes from or if it's correlated to something. Yeah, exactly. So basically it often is enough to just have this list of potential problems mm -hmm. and then you can see what the real problem is and then you can start developing some recipe for the solution. And then you can take the list of problems together with the recipe, give it to your developer, and he or she can fix all the issues. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. And um, how is the acceptance from the developer community with this? I mean, um, from uh, from from the point of view of a developer, you're kind of doing meta work over the code base, um, which is fun, certainly. Mm -hmm. But not necessarily what I would like to be doing on my, on my day, day job. I'm trying to produce uh, something that solves a problem for a customer. And you're kind of going meta on top of this and maybe kind of, um, overseeing or checking problems in somebody else's code base. Um, how's the, the acceptance both on, both on the, on the user end, meaning when you come with an idea, but also on, Hey, I could be doing this myself. Um, huh? both sides. Yeah. So the acceptance on the developer side is a little bit tricky because there's a high barrier to get into the topic. So you have to learn all those toolings around data analytics or software analytics in general. Um, there is a, there's certainly a need for tutorials or some other workshops that can enable developers to do it in their own environment. Yeah, but I think when developers did such analysis once, they are getting into it like they are taking drugs for the first time. And they are moving on and fixing or identifying more and more problems and enhancing their analytic skills. And it's such kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy if they do it always in the daily work. And I think if you are over this barrier to use the data analytics tools for the first time, you are really getting the ideas and you will really love it. Mm -hmm. So the other question was, how are the results accepted when you do kind such of, analysis? Yes. This is a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a good story. So 
In my talk, I always have some kind of a danger slide because on one hand, you spot really severe problems that could cause some disturbance in the employment of some people because you are really delivering real data, real facts that are uneasy maybe. On the other hand, you should also be very careful because if you analyze some data that's private or has some relationship to your employees at work, this is maybe a thing where a work council will not look away. Mm -hmm. So always be careful to present the data that you can't do any performance tracking of some people you're working with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this makes sense. But overall, if you present the results, there is a huge acceptance if they are really solving the, the Gordian knot or something like this. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to, to figure out first what is the elephant in the room. So a problem that nobody wants to talk about, but is really a problem that could let fail your software project. Mm -hmm. So you take this severe problem, but make it more understandable, more addressable by doing a data analysis on those problems to figure out what's really behind the problem and to give also the security or try also to give some safety that you can solve this problem. Because if you have identified a problem in an automated way, you are really, you're really firm with the problem and it's more easily to solve it afterwards. Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Um, for what you were searching for, I, I like this, uh, this sentence. Um, you never look good by making someone look bad. Um, which is kind of a, of a, of a mantra, um, that I like to, to work with is, uh, never make somebody look bad that, that never does, uh, good things. And this is uh, one step further because there are some legal, uh, legal grounds behind it. So, yeah, but it makes sense. That's, that's interesting. Um, you mentioned before, that um, there's a lack of tutorials. Mm -hmm. um, I think you just uh, put your foot in the door in this direction. Um, your blog is kind of uh, of a tutorial in itself, and this talk you've been uh, um, holding at many conferences. I have no idea how many. Uh, it's kind of a, of the first um, uh, the first uh, well step in this direction. Um, do you have something else planned, or, or what, what do you describe on your blog? Maybe first. Yeah, my blog, I'm just kind of writing coding cutters like this. So I have an idea and I just want to figure out how can I grasp uh, this, this problem that I'm searching um, with all the data that's, that is lying around in software development. And I'm just coding like afterwards some, some, I trying out some cool new algorithms from the data mining area. And somehow cool results occur. And I just, I want to figure out if they are correct. 
and I write about it to make sure that they are kind of correct and blog and publish it on my website to get some discussion started. Mm-hmm. So that's the main point of my blog. So to, to learn in public. Mm-hmm. So what I read was, um, you just take a public repository, um, some, some data that is publicly available and then crunching on, crunch it on your, on your own and then kind of make a cool result out of it. Um, I think that's, that's mostly what I've read. Uh, yeah, but most of the blog posts originate from real problems in a real software system, mm-hmm. but I can't really write about it in public. So, okay. so I'm always searching for kind of similar data out in the open mm-hmm. and take that to show what you can do and how okay. you can make problems visible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a showcase, I think. It's, yeah. it's showing what's, what's possible with all this. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. But I also have some tutorials on my blog, but I think it's one. <laughs> okay, I have one tutorial on my blog, and I should certainly do more. But, well, I don't know how exactly to start or what is really needed. So what I'm trying now is to give another version of my original talk. It's more like a data science meets software data where I want to give software developers first hints what is needed when you do such kind of analysis, how you can arrange your data or how you how you have to arrange your data that it fits into the data analysis tools and how you can move on and make real progress on your own. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think you should do more, more of this. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, um, yes, ah, the problem is there are so many cool problems out there <laughs> that I want to analyze and to see if it works with the, with the status, with the data analysis tools that I'm using. Mm-hmm. And there's not much time to go back and to explain how you, you can do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, just, 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 uh, thinking out loud right now. Um, would there be a, a way to put your Jupyter notebook, um, online visible for everyone? It's so read only visible for everyone to just browse through all the, all the, the, the cases you analyze already and see how you did this. Yeah. Actually, I do this. So what I'm, so I'm writing my blog posts in Jupyter mm-hmm. as notebooks. Mm-hmm. And then I push them publicly onto GitHub. And then I take the HTML output and place it onto my blog. Oh, okay. And there's always a link to the original notebook. And in most cases, there's also the data publicly available, Mm -hmm. or at least the steps are shown how you can get the kind of data set that I'm analyzing. Mm -hmm. So the core idea is indeed to enable others to repeat my analysis. Okay. I didn't realize that. I'm always reading you for via RSS. So I'm, I'm kind of three steps down the, the drain. I didn't realize that. Oh, cool. Yeah. You have, you have to read, um, to the very end because mm-hmm. there is often the link to the GitHub repository. Okay. Then I didn't pay attention. Oh, I didn't read it to the end, <laughs> but sometimes I just forget it. So okay. I would be happy if you give me a hint. I'll, I'll double check that. <laughs> 
Okay, um, we're kind of reaching the end of the time box already. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and uh, as all the guests, um, if you had some some new developers around, some 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 new colleagues, or somebody um, not necessarily um, new on their journey, but but um, not necessarily mentees as well, but so somebody that you should kind of um, kind of take care of or um, uh, guide on the journey, what would be your advice um, as a senior developer that has a lot of experience in many different um uh you're frowning right now <laughs> <laughs> um what would you what would be your advice for um new developers well the i think the most important advice would be never stop learning be open for new things because i mean this is that we really need as software developers I would also support my new colleague to figure out how he or she can learn efficiently. Show them some tricks, how you can organize your day or what resources would be kind of helpful to learn the topic that he or she does uh, at work. Mm-hmm. Because I'm really into books and such, so I think I know some literature in the software development area. And I would be always there if some questions arise, or I would also say, hey, I'm not sure about those either. So... Mm-hmm. If I may, you had a very interesting um, blog post about how you crunch um, audiobooks and podcasts into your week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was at least two years ago. Yeah. Um, when you listen to podcasts and to which uh, speed and how, and that, that's where I realized that you were a podcast junkie like I am. Um, so just making the most of every minute um, of the week to just read some new books or listen to new books and stuff. Um, yeah, I found it very interesting. I'll link that to the, to the, to the show notes. Uh, you should read this. Yeah, sure. Well, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, never stop learning. Be open for new things. And then how to learn efficiently, organize yourself, etc. That's good advices. Good advices. Um, what's on your plate right now? Do you have some talks coming? Do you have some stuff with InnoQ coming? Do you have, uh, Are you going to be publicly visible somewhere where people can just uh, come to you and uh, and tell you great things about uh, your work? <laughs> <laughs> He's frowning again. Uh, so, um, well, I don't think that I'm in the position to that someone can comes to me and says, "Hey, cool." <laughs> um, no. Um, so I think there's much work to be done before r- people really get into the topic. So as I said, I'm working more right now on content that is more for beginners that want to really get into software analytics. I also have planned some blog series that introduce different kinds of software data sources, or different kinds of techniques that you can use uh, in your journey to become a software analytic guy. And this is what I'm focusing right now. Okay, so that's what's on your plate right now. Yeah. Cool. Um, where should the listeners um, 
look for that on your blog probably or on Twitter? Where, where should they reach you at best? Yeah, you can certainly follow me on Twitter. This is um, the part where I often announce publicly what I'm doing right now. So it's kind of weird for non-German speakers, I think, um, because my Twitter handle is uh, feststelltaster. <laughs> so probably <laughs> as an English-speaking person, you should translate caps lock into German, <laughs> and then you take the one with the F at the beginning, and that's feststelltaster. And this is my handle for, as I said, Twitter, but I have also a blog that's called feststelltaster.de, where I write about all the things of legacy code, software analytics, and software development in general. Okay. Is there a story behind feststelltaster? Well, it was a nickname that was free on most social platforms, so I took it. <laughs> that's fun how these things uh, come up. There's always, always uh, insignificant stories behind this. <laughs> but it's just tick. They just take and become um, a fully you for years. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Um, did we forget to speak about something? No, I think we have it all covered. Cool. Then I think we have a show. Thank you very much for coming. That yeah, was very you. insightful. Um, dear listeners, talk to Marcus. Um, reach him on Twitter and uh, and on his blog. I will put the uh, the exact spelling of Festival on the show notes, so you can go in there and uh, and have a look. And um, we see each other in two weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Dear listener, if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and much more. And if you like what we do, please help your fellow developers discover the podcast by rating it and writing a comment on those platforms. Thanks again, and see you in two weeks.